The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. Today, and it's been in the news and uh, different things that our culture and our society that, uh, if you're like me, you just get tired of hearing it. I, I just get tired of, of hearing the news, and uh, I'm not uh, uh, really get depressed over things, but, you know, you just get tired of hearing the the mindset of where we are heading as a nation. And today the prevalent mindset uh, of what is right or what is wrong is decided by each situation we're in. That's kind of the mindset of our, of our world today, of our country, I would say. Not the world, but our country. Uh, and, and in our country today, we're seeing that for the most part, there are no absolutes, and we, we're studying on Sunday night right now through a, a study that talks about absolutes and uh, the, the, the truth of the fact that, that in our society, there are, there are folks who say there are no absolute standards, and if you've been a part of that study now or in the past, uh, you know that, that that statement is an absolute statement, so people that say there are no absolutes or making an absolute statement that absolutely there are no absolutes and and when they make that statement what they're really saying is we're not interested in Christianity okay because that is an absolute and our society's not interested in that so they want to create society wants to create their own absolutes measured against their own measuring rod you know over in Amos it talks about a plumb line, and if you're measuring something, the straightness of a wall against a plumb line, that plumb line is an absolute. Uh, a plumb line, if you don't know what that is, or some people call it a plumb bob, you know, it's a, it's a string with a weight on the end of it. It can be anything. It could be a, a nut or a bolt or a rock, and when you, when you hold that string with that rock hanging from it, that's, that string is straight up and down. It's an absolute. And if you're trying to get something square or something straight, then you, you have a reference point that you can measure all other things by. I think I've told you before, I'm not a carpenter. I wish I was. I wish I could build things. I can, I can peel around and build little things. But uh, Utah Chandler was a carpenter. And when we were building this church building, uh, there was nothing but studs down the walls, and uh, it was pretty much open, and... The front doors weren't there, but Utah came in the front door, and he just walked in, and he looked down the hall that direction, and he said, that wall is not straight. And I looked, and I was like, oh, he goes, it's not straight. It's crooked. It's leaning. And uh, I thought, well, okay, whatever. And he went and got the head carpenter and said, look at that wall. That wall isn't straight. (laughs) And the, the carpenter pulled his... Uh, tape measure out and went to measure and he said you're right it's not straight and and I, I always found that fascinating I, I think Utah had probably looked at so many houses and so much construction that he understood there was a plumb line and measuring against the plumb line in his mind he could see that something was out of whack there now I look on that wall every time and y'all will now I don't think it's straight still. I think I can see it a little bit leaning now, but they did the best they could to get it straightened back up. All the rafters were hung and everything was already tied together and they took chains and hoist and worked on, on straightening that up. But 
not, not only in construction, we need to understand in our world today, there are absolutes. And folks, as Christians, we need to be the ones that understand what the absolutes are, and we need to be able to go and measure what society's wanting to do, the direction they're wanting to head, and we need to measure them against what God's Word says, because God's Word is the plumb line. And if you don't believe that, then that throws the whole Bible away. If you would say there's, there's something in God's Word that I don't believe that's necessarily the truth or necessarily something we can measure where we're headed today, if you put that statement to the Bible, to God's Word, you might as well take the rest of the Bible, burn it, throw it away, because you're saying that plumb line, which is God's Word, is not true. In other words, it's not an absolute truth. Now, I'm not talking about whether a word was thee or thus or thou in a different translation, and you say, well, you know, that's, that's inconsistent, but I'm talking about the truth of God's Word. And when we look at the truth of God's Word, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 19 this morning, and I title my message, Blue Smoke. It's a good title, ain't it, darling? It is, but I really title it Smoke on the Mountain. But uh, we're, we're looking in Exodus, and we're down to the last two weeks of our study of Moses. Next week we'll conclude this study. But in the book of Exodus, we find a plumb line in which we can measure our lives against. It's interesting as we talk about the, the, our society, and we're going to talk about the Ten Commandments this morning. William Bennett, he updated his version of, of the Index of Leading Cultural Indicators. And this is what he concluded during the last half of this century, the 20th century. We have made extraordinary progress in medicine, science, and technology. I would say probably most of us here would say, I agree with that. I mean, we've made a lot of progress in, in, in medicine, in science, in technology. We have achieved unprecedented levels of wealth and affluence. But we've lost something in the process. The nation that we live in today is more violent, more vulgar, more coarse, more cynical more rude and remorseless, deviant and depressed than the one we once inhabited. A popular culture that's often brutal, gruesome, and enamored with death robs many children of their innocence. People kill other people and themselves more easily. Men and women abandon each other more readily even abandoning their children more readily. Marriage and the American family is weaker and more unstable now than it's ever been. I think that's a true statement. And I think we can just read that and, and look around and understand that is a true statement. The, the thing that, that kind of cuts us is that's true inside and outside of the church. There used to be kind of a difference there, but the more and more... Our culture moves away from a plumb line. We're beginning to see our churches that look more and more just like a part of the world. And they, they kind of fit in. We, have, we, we like our culture, has, have, have kind of come into a, a, an unfamiliar territory. Kind of our culture has, has, has begun to move forward without a map. Have you ever heard anyone say, maybe you've said this about me preaching, man, he was all over the map this morning. 
What does that mean? Boy, he was, he was going this direction, and just boom, we were going this direction, and then we were going that direction, and, and then something popped in his mind, he was going that direction. He was just all over the map. Well, that's kind of where we are today. As a country, we're kind of all over the map. And we need some landmarks. We need some fixed points that we can navigate to, something that, that gives us a reference where we can figure out where we're going and how we're going to get there. That's where the Ten Commandments comes in. Well, this morning, with that one statement, I don't want you to say, well, I don't agree because we're not under the law. We are not bound by the law. That's why I wanted to talk about this. I think probably one of the, the most misunderstood passages of Scripture or maybe areas of, of Scripture is, is when it comes to the Ten Commandments. And as we catch up with Moses, and we're going to talk more about that, and the children of Israel in Exodus chapter 19, the people's been out in the desert for about three months. So from the time they've left Egypt, they was rescued out of Egypt, and all the things we went through, we're going to revisit those in just a moment. It's been about three months. And now in Exodus chapter 19, they arrive at the mountain, according to verse 2. Now, this mountain they're at is the mountain where Moses has first been called of God. It's Mount Sinai. It's what it's referred to. It's also referred to as Mount Horeb. It's probably the same place with just two different names during that time. So Moses has led them back to that point, back to that mountain. <coughs> he has a word of God. And he's coming to God in Exodus chapter 3, verse 12. This is where he was originally. I will certainly be with you, and you shall be a sign unto you that I have sent you. And when you have brought the people up out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So, so way back in Exodus chapter 3, that's when we see God sending Moses. He says, Moses, I'm going to be with you. The people are going to know I'm with you. And you're going to bring the people back to this mountain. Now, in Exodus chapter 19, verse 3, we find Moses going to the mountain. And Moses made many trips up this mountain. When we watch the movies, we kind of get an idea that, that Moses came to this mountain. He went up on the mountain one time, and all of this stuff happened, and he came back down. That's not the case. Moses went up to the mountain several times. And on the mountain, God tells Moses, this is what I want you to say to the people. This is his first trip. He says this, Exodus 19, 4 You've seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and how I've brought you into myself. So the first thing God does, he tells Moses, I want you to go back and I want you to talk to the Israelites. And what I want you to tell them is, I want you to remember some things. I'm going to make this real personal, God says to Moses. I, I want you to go back and, and I want you to remind them how I carried them as an eagle would carry them to freedom. You remember we talked a few weeks ago about an eagle and how an eagle protects his children, his young, and, and how he, he teaches them to fly and teaches them to move on. God says, I want you to, to remind my children of these things. And he, he begins to list some things. Do you remember when you were trapped in Egypt? Children of Israel, do you remember being trapped? And, and do you remember being in bondage of your sin? And do you remember there was no place for you to go? Do you remember those things? Do you remember how you groaned in your captivity? Do you remember how you cried out to me when you were in agony, when you saw no hope and that your situation was, was helpless and, and you cried out to me? This is God through Moses saying, take this back. 
Do you remember those things? Do you, do you remember when, when you couldn't go forward and you couldn't go backward because you were trapped up against the Red Sea? Do you remember? And as Moses began to bring this back to their, their minds, the Lord is saying, I heard your cries. I, I saw your tears. I, I, I heard your groanings. And I, I came and I delivered you out of slavery. I came and I, I brought you back to where you are. Do you remember those things? And folks, I want us just to, in ourselves, in our minds this morning, I'm not going to go, I, I, would, I, I thought about preaching a whole different kind of message about America today, but I don't want to do that. I want you, in your minds, to think about we as Americans. And how I want you to do that is I want you to remember that the Israelites were God's chosen people, okay? Beginning here in Exodus, they were God's chosen people. And he led them out of the uh, bondage. He led them into a place. They're headed for the promised land. They're God's chosen people. He, he says, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. And that was his promise. And, and the Old Testament is the age of the Israelites, the age of the Jews. But what did the Jews do? They denied God. Because they denied God after Jesus Christ came, He came, and the Bible says, first for the Jews, then for the Gentiles. So God sent His Son first for His chosen people. The Bible says His chosen people denied Him. And that, that chosen race moved to the Gentiles. Now, know this, the Jews are still God's chosen people. But the Bible says there is a time for the Gentiles. We're Gentiles. If we're not Jew, anybody that's not a Jew is a Gentile. So what Jesus Christ did, he said, okay, a time has come. Israel, Jews, since you've denied me, God has kind of set them aside. He's kind of got them on the back burner. Now, I'm not saying that there's not Christian Jews, because there are. Anyone who comes to Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, they're a born-again Christian. But for the most part, the Jews don't believe Jesus Christ was the Messiah. They don't believe the Messiah ever came. So God has kind of put them on the back burner. He moves the Gentiles to the front burner. He says, okay, I have a new law, a new thing, and it's under grace. And we're saved by faith through God's grace. That's how we're saved. The Bible says during the time of Revelation that the time of the Gentiles comes to an end. Okay? Now, again, that's not to say during Revelation there won't be a few Gentiles come to Christ. But the vast majority of Gentiles will have denied Christ. And then the, the tribulation starts in Revelation. And what's that for? That's for the Jews. God reminds the Jews, you are my chosen people. I sent Jesus Christ, and I'm going to reveal, Revelation, I'm going to reveal myself to the Jews. So the tribulation, the book of Revelation, it's for the Jews. Now the first three chapters of Revelation is the age of grace. Remember all the churches? That's what it starts out with. It starts out with the churches. It starts out with the age of grace, the time of the Gentiles end, the church age ends. 
the Jews come in and, and there's a new Antichrist comes in and says, hey, we're going to set up the temple. You're going to make sacrifices. It's going to be just like it was in the old days. Through those seven years, God is going to reveal that Jesus Christ is the Messiah to the Jews. And they're going to begin to proclaim that, hey, Jesus Christ is Messiah. And that's during the tribulation period. Now, I said all of that to say, today, put yourself where the children of Israel are in Exodus because they're God's chosen people. And so when we read this and when we say, hey, look what God has done for the Egyptians, how he's delivered us, how he's made us a great nation, compare that to us. Look at the United States. Look how God has delivered us out of evil. Look how, how God has protected us. Look how we've become a great nation. Folks, we are the greatest nation in the world. And it's because our foundation was built upon Jesus Christ. That's how we became the nation we are. That's how Israel became the nation they are. And God says, all right, you've seen what I did Remember those things. Remember all I've done for you. So, so he first reminds the children of Israel what he's done for them. Secondly, listen to what he says. I have set you aside for a special purpose. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 5 and 6, God says through Moses, Now therefore, you will indeed obey my voice if, if, if you've got your Bible and you're in Exodus 19, 5 and 6, Circle or underline that word if. Therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, if you will indeed keep my covenant, you shall then, listen to this, be a special treasure to me above all, ever, all other people. Isn't that a great promise? I mean, isn't that wonderful? God says, look, remember all I've done for you. I've delivered you out of the hand of bondage. I've, I've set you in a, a, a course for a new land, a blessed land where, where it's flowing with milk and honey and where I'm going to bless you as a people. And if you'll remember those things, and if you'll indeed obey my commandments and my voice, my directions that I give you, you're going to become a special treasure to me above all people, for the earth is all mine. Verse 6. And you shall be a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. If you're familiar with the Bible in the New Testament, God says to us through Jesus Christ, through His Word, those of us who have called by the Lord, those of us who have accepted His Word, what does He call us? He calls us a priesthood and a holy nation. Who's He talking to? The Gentiles. Who's He talking to here? The children of Israel. See how that compares? We've become God's chosen people. So looking back at Israel here, you shall be my kingdom and you shall be a, a priest and a holy nation. And these are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. God said, okay, that's what I want you to go tell them. I want them to realize that I've delivered them, that I've brought them this place. I have a great blessing for them. I have a great plan for them. And here we go, and God sends that apart. That holy nation means a nation that's set aside for a purpose. That's all that means. If you today, and I remember I preached a message here a few years ago, and, and I had you do something I'm going to have you do again. If you're a born-again Christian this morning, you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I want you to say this, I am holy. Say it again, I'm holy. I remember, I remember we did that, and somebody after church said, boy, 
I hated saying that, because we kind of feel that way, don't we? We, we kind of feel like, I'm, I'm not holy. Well, you are holy. <laughs> You're holy because Jesus Christ has called you into Himself. And when He called you, He set you aside. He made you holy for a special purpose. So that's what He did with the children of Israel. He said, you're a holy nation. You've been set aside for a purpose. And here's your purpose. I want you to show the world what it means to have a relationship with the God of Israel. Nation of Israel, I'm setting you aside. I, listen, I'm making you a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Because when others look at you, what I want them to see is I want, I want them to understand what it means to follow God as, the, as their Lord, to follow God as their Savior. I, I, want, I want people to look at you as a nation and say, hey, look how God is blessing that nation. And, and we need to follow what they follow because they follow God. And, and Moses says, hey, this is what God has for you. This is what God intends for you. This is what God wants you to see, that all other nations are going to look and they're going to see the way that they can get to God, and, and they're going to say, hey, I want to join them. So, so how were they different? How were they set aside? They were set aside because God had set them aside. Only three days later, according to verse 16, they assembled at the base of the mountain, and suddenly, according to verse 16, the, the mountain was surrounded by a cloud, there was thunder, there was lightning, there was a deafening blast of trumpets, and everyone began to tremble. And God is calling Moses to the mountain. He's calling him back. And in, in Exodus chapter 20, we see the law was given. Some people call it the law of Moses. And, and they came and, and the Ten Commandments were given. And as the Ten Commandments were given, you've probably heard this, and I've talked about this as we've talked about the Ten Commandments before. The, four, the first four commandments were in regard to man's relationship with God. So God started out, He said, I have these four commandments, and, and the first four has to do with your relationship with me. And then the last six commandments, it has to do with man's relationship to man. Between men and men, that was the last six. So, so God lays out these, these ten commandments, and, and here we discover how people are supposed to relate to one another, how we're supposed to relate to one another as Brothers and sisters, how we're supposed to relate to another another in relationships. And, and we're all under the same grace. We're all under the same love. And, and God has shown us in, in dealing with us. And this morning as we discuss these Ten Commandments, I said earlier, maybe there's no other passage that's, that's more confusing. A few years back, listen to what Ted Turner. Have y'all heard of Ted Turner? Turner Broadcasting. You know, he used to be really popular. Used to be, when you watch television... You know, everything, as a, a show would come on or a show would go off, there would be a Ted Turner picture on your screen that says this is a product of Turner Broadcasting or whatever group you were watching. But he's also the creator of CNN. This is what he said. He declared that the Ten Commandments to be outmoded. He said they are not relevant or current to global problems such as overpopulation and the arms race. He told the audience, I bet no one here even pays much attention to them because they're too old. Commandments are out, and we need to replace them. So Turner offered his own group of ten voluntary initiatives. In those initiatives, he included 
We need to help the downtrodden. We need to love and respect the planet Earth. And we need to limit families to two children. He concluded by saying Christianity is a religion of losers. That's what he thinks about Christianity and about the Ten Commandments. He said they're, they're outdated. They're, I bet nobody here pays any attention to them. If the Ten Commandments weren't so threatening to our government, why do they pull them out of every governmental business? They're threatened by them. Why? Because they're a plumb line. They're an absolute. They're something we can measure our whole decisions against. Ted Koppel, ABC Nightline, he, he made the following comment at some point. We have actually convinced ourselves that slogans will save us. Shoot up if you must, but use a clean needle. Enjoy sex, whatever, with ever, with whomever, but be sure and protect yourself. Then he says this, no, the answer is no, not because it isn't cool or smart, not because you might wind up in jail or dying with AIDS, but simply because it's wrong. He made that assessment as he looked around at the edge. So what Moses brought down from Mount Sinai were not the ten suggestions, it was Ten Commandments that God gave His chosen people. And what is, what is needed most for us today is to, to understand the implications of the Ten Commandments in this present age. You may say, well, I don't agree with everything Ted Turner said. I don't agree with most of what he said. But you know, they are kind of outdated. You, you might have you thought of that. Hey, we're not under the law. We're under grace, so... So what does that have to do with me? So what I want us to do is answer the question, do the Ten Commandments have any significance for us today as believers? Do they have any significance? And listen to what Jesus said about the law. In Matthew 5, 17 and 18, He says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy them, but to fulfill them. For assuredly I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle, that's the two smallest uh, punctuations in the Hebrew alphabet, so the, the smallest punctuation there, the, the dot at the end of a sentence, the dot over an I, the T's crossed, not until one jot or tittle by no means will pass from the law until it is fulfilled. Jesus said, I didn't come to break the law. I didn't come to destroy the law. I didn't come to do away from the law, to do away with the law. I came to fulfill the law. And, and what he means here, to give full meaning to the law. Jesus understood the Ten Commandments. He adhered to the Ten Commandments. He, he gave a, a living exposition of, of the Ten Commandments while He walked the earth. That's, that's what Christ did. And, and why Jesus did that was to show that, that we can't be good enough to get to heaven. We, we, can't be, we can't do enough. We can't use a set of rules and regulations in our lives and be nice, neat people by going by these ten set of laws or ten set of rules to say, okay, I fulfill those things, so I'm going to get to heaven. Well, you say, okay, Jake, you, you've said that, so what do they have to do with us today? You've said they're not, to, they're not, not something we need to fulfill. So when we ask that question, I, I want you to give you about three things this morning. I've got about ten minutes left, and we're going to be through on time, so, 
So if you're still with me, say, I'm with you. Good. The first thing we need to use the Ten Commandments at, and what God intended the Ten Commandments for us in this age of grace, is to use them as a mirror. Did anybody look in that mirror out there when you came in this morning? Ladies, any of y'all look? Do, you know, when you got in there? Think about the Ten Commandments as that mirror. And, and when we look at that, the Ten Commandments let us understand, just like it let Israel understand, by keeping them, it, it, it couldn't make them acceptable to God. Now, when they, when they were given, they were supposed to be in a right standing with God, and, and the only way to be in a right standing with God is through faith. So they were given the law function to reveal to the Israelites it was their function that, that their sinfulness would be in a striking contrast to God's law. That's all the law was given for. That's all the Ten Commandments were given for. In other words, when they read the Ten Commandments and they looked at their self, they would realize, hey, we're failing in that area. Israel was using them as a plumb bob. They were using them as the absolute. And listen to what Romans 3, 19 and 20 says. Whatever the law says, and we could spend the rest of the day right here. You'll have to go back and I'm going to throw you the bone. You put the meat on it later. Listen to what it says. Whatever the law says, it says to those who are under law that every mouth may be stopped and that all the world may become guilty before God. That's what the law is. Hear what it says? Here's what it says, that every mouth will be stopped and that the world may become Guilty before God. Verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law comes the knowledge of sin. Now, there's two things I want you to see here. By the law. Now, I wouldn't think there's anybody that we know or anybody that we come in contact with that says, I live by the law. Okay? Now, I ain't talking about the law of the land. I'm talking about the law in the Bible. But here's what we say. I live a good life. Y'all have heard me say that, haven't you? Oh, I give to people that are needy. Oh, I go to church. Oh, I'm, I'm a good provider for my family. What are we doing? When we do those things, we're saying, hey, I'm fulfilling the law. I'm fulfilling these commandments out here, and because of that, I'm going to be justified. You know what justified? Remember, just as if I'd never sinned. But Paul says, the deeds of the law does not bring justification in the eyes of God. Here's the reason for the law. The law is for a knowledge of sin. So when we think about I'm going to live by the law, or we are against the law, or we're against uh, the law is for the Israelites, the law is for us today. We're not under the law. What does the law have to do with us? What does the Ten Commandments have to do? It's the same purpose. Jesus came and said, I'm going to fulfill the law. If we go over in Matthew and start looking, he, he, the, the Pharisees start asking him about the law, and he says, hey, here's some, here's some things to add to the law. If you want to be under the law... But what the, what the Ten Commandments are for us today, by the, by the law comes the knowledge of sin. He's not saying the law makes us sinners. 
He's simply saying the law reveals our sin to us. The, the law teaches us that we're sinners. If you looked in that mirror and you had a spot on your face, the mirror didn't put the spot there, did it? If you looked in the mirror and you had a hair out of place, the mirror didn't put the hair out of place, what did it do? It just revealed it to you. Whatever you have, whatever you corrected, whatever you saw, it wasn't the mirror doing it, it was simply a reflection. And that's what the law is. It simply reflects to us, it simply gives us a reminder that, hey, we can't fulfill the law. So in, 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 our, own, in our own ability, in our, our own power, we can't get to heaven because we can't keep the law that gets us to heaven. The only way that we get to heaven is just like the only way the children of Israel were delivered from the death angel. How did they do that? They took the blood of the lamb during the Passover and they put it on their doorpost and they put it across the top of the door. They were delivered by faith through the blood of the lamb. They believed that God's word and they believed what Moses had said and they followed through by faith in that, in that believing and they were, they were saved from their death, from their sin by the blood of the lamb. Nothing has changed. We still have the law. It's still a mirror for us to realize that we can't reach God's plan. And just like they had a need for the blood of the Lamb, we have a need for the blood of the Lamb. And that's how we find salvation. The, the Israelites escaped the judgment of God, not through the law. But they escaped through the blood of the sacrificial Lamb. And through faith, they applied that blood to their life. And they were saved. That's the same for us today. The second thing we're to use the law as... It's kind of where I started this morning. We're to use the law as a compass. Something that kind of gives us direction. Some kind of landmark out there to say, okay, we're moving forward and, and God has given us a law to help us know what's right or wrong. What do we do today? We go out and we, at 8 o'clock in the evening, we make up a law that says, okay, you can use any bathroom you want to use. I am sick of hearing that. I turn my radio station when that comes on. I'm just sick of hearing it. But what do we do? Well, I'm going to make a legacy for myself. i got a few months left. I think at 8 o'clock at night, I'm just going to throw out an edict that says, hey, here's the answer. What did he measure that against? Nothing. Because for our president, he said there's no absolutes. There's no right or wrong. Even though in Matthew chapter 19... Jesus said, I created male and female. There's no other options, okay? There's not identifying as this or identifying as that. God settled that problem. The problem is the line has become blurred because as a nation we say, well, you know what? There's not. If it works for you, it works for me. Oh, I'm okay if you're okay. Let's just get along. Let's all be happy. Let's all listen. What have we done? We've taken God's law, we've taken God's plumb line out of the picture, and when that happens, it blurs the road. All of a sudden, when you can't, when you can't see the lighthouse anymore, and you're sailing out there, and, and you don't really know which direction to go, you begin to drift this way, and you begin to drift that way, and, and you end up in troubled waters. Well, folks, when we turn our backs on the direction, the compass that God gives us, we're in troubled waters. So we think about the law. The second thing we use the law for, it, it's to be used as a compass to direct us. Here's the last thing. We're to allow the law to lead us to Christ. That's what it does. Listen to Galatians 3.24. It says, Therefore the law is a tutor or a schoolmaster. 
to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified through faith. That says it all, doesn't it? Therefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ that we may be justified by faith. The word schoolmaster, pedagogosis. Y'all like that? Is Dina here this morning? She'd like that. P-A-I-D-A-G-O-G-O-S. That's what it meant originally. It had a whole different meaning than school teacher. When Paul wrote this, it means a schoolmaster, but it even has a different meaning than we would think of that. What it was, it means a servant or a slave who was a part of the Roman household in their homes, a rich Roman empire, would have had a pedagogosis. And what they were, they were someone who would take the children, they would, they would take the children in their home from the day they were born, and they were paid to take care of the children. They had custody of the children. Now, the parents were still there, and the parents still interacted with them, but it was that slave who actually raised them, and when they became of age, that slave would take that child by the hand, and he would lead him to school. He would, he would lead him to that point. That servant was the one who, who took him to school, who led him to school, who turned him over to the school teacher. So, so what, what God is saying, and what Paul is saying here in Galatians chapter 3.24 is, the law becomes the one who leads us, To Christ. It becomes the one who takes our hands and begins to reveal to us who we are. And as it revealing to us our sin, then the whole time He's leading us to Christ. And that's what the Ten Commandments is. They won't take you to heaven, but they'll point you in the right direction. They're a plumb line to say, okay, I need to head that direction to get to heaven. And the Ten Commandments says, okay, we're we're your schoolmaster. We're going to take you... And we're going to lead you and we're going to bring you to Christ. Salvation is not a matter of comparison. It, it can't say I'm going to heaven because I'm much better than this person or better than that person. If a, if a man's standing on the top of a mountain and, a, and another man's standing on an anthill, well, that man on the mountain's a whole lot higher, but he ain't any closer to God. And, and that's not what the Ten Commandments do. It simply leads us and points us to the direction of God. I want to ask you if you would to bow your heads this morning. We kind of wrapped up really, rather quickly this morning, but just a couple of things to remember. Remember this, the Ten Commandments. There are our plumb line today. They're a mirror that reveals to us where we are. There's something that, that gives us an anchor. They give us an absolute. Are we bound by them? Never, never have been. But there's something that we can look at as a point of reference. We can measure things against to say, hey, is this an absolute? Is this, is this absolutely where God would have us to be? Or, or are we missing the mark? Are we getting offline? And remember, the Ten Commandments is simply this. It's something that, that leads us to God. You know, for us to become a Christian, the first step is this. I've got to know that I'm a sinner. Alcoholic, the first step to recovery, I've got to know that I'm an alcoholic. There's some steps that helps an alcoholic makes that, make that termination. There's some questions that they have to answer. That's what the Ten Commandments are. There's some steps that, that lead us to, to the understanding that, that we are lost. And then through that, that leads us to the point of saying, okay, because I'm lost, I need a Savior. I need someone to pay the price.
The song says, Jesus paid a debt he didn't owe. And we owed a debt that we couldn't pay. And I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I can sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Because Jesus paid the debt he didn't owe. The law helps us understand there's a debt that we can't reach, we can't obtain, but through Jesus, we can be justified. Father, I pray this morning as we just consider your word and we consider ourselves as a nation and we see there's blessings ahead and we see there's curses ahead and that you give us a promise if we, your people, if, if we'll obey your words, walk in your ways, Father, you have a blessing for us. You have a promised land, a place of prosperity, a, a place of healing, a, a place as, as abundance. But Father, we need to understand that it comes with obedience. And Lord, I pray this morning as we can look around at our world and we can see disobedience in every aspect of our world. I pray that we'd take our eyes off the world and we would begin to examine ourselves and it would start with me. Lord, that I might examine myself through your eyes and see if I'm obedient to you. Lord, I pray that that we as Christians and we as a church wouldn't be the ones being disobedient, but Father, we would be your chosen people that show in the world what it looks like to be your child. Father, I pray now as we have a a hymn of invitation, I pray if your spirit's moving within our hearts that we would respond to your wooing, that we would respond to your word, and that we'd be obedient to you today. Pray, Lord, that you'd lead us, that you'd guide us, that you'd direct us, and, Lord, that we would come to you just as we are, just without one plea, simply come to you on the merit of your word, and the merit that your blood was shed for us. Father, I pray we wouldn't wait till we get things straight here and straight at home and get this done and get that done, but we would just come to you. And then, Father, we would allow you to straighten out those areas of our lives. How the Spirit leads, I pray we would follow today in Jesus' name.